oftentimes called Paul's masterwork. It's been called Paul's manifesto. It's been, been called a number of different things, and with good reason to an extent, provided we don't put too much on the man himself. But Romans chapter 15, verse 14, we'll consider a piece of this. Uh, well, this this work of this man, Paul. Romans 15, verse 14, he says, Now I, am, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. Let's bow our heads once again. Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight, Lord. Thank you once again for this gathering together of your people. I thank you, Lord, for the word that you give us to help us to know who you are, and Father, to help us to have fuller understanding of who we are who we are intended to be, Father, who we can be, as we obey and submit ourselves to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be willing, Lord, to yield to your hand in shaping us, in strengthening us, in working on our behalf, in pushing us sometimes, Father, in even holding us back. Help us to yield and submit always to your hand and to recognize when you are working in our lives and the lives of others. Open our eyes as we just sang. Open our ears, our hearts to you tonight, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, again, just a snippet here that we're reading here near the end of this book that Paul wrote, this epistle that he wrote to the Romans. If you're familiar with the book, and I'm confident that most everybody here of, well, of capable age is familiar with this, Uh, If you're not familiar at length or in depth with this book, I encourage you to make yourselves familiar with it. There is a reason why it's called those things I mentioned a moment ago, Paul's Masterpiece, the Manifesto for the Christian Walk, it's so on and so forth. Uh, It must be understood that it is no more scripture than Esther or, or Micah or any of the things that perhaps we don't put as much attention upon that it's still in the scripture in the word of God that the Lord has laid out for us but you do understand also that it is an essential piece an essential piece of the word of God that has a great deal of application to our lives as his people especially in this church age um, that being said if you take it at face value the apostle Paul I had much to glory in as we, uh, well, we hear him talking about there in verse 17. He says, therefore, I have reason to glory, to boast or to rejoice in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. Now, I've mentioned it a number of times, and you're, you have probably heard it in your own respective lives. Uh, those ones who oppose the things of God and specifically have some measure of understanding about Paul will oftentimes say that he's a boastful man. They say he's misogynist and all those other things that they don't take time to, well, to see the actuality because it opposes their, their respective viewpoint, their preferred viewpoint, I guess you could even say. That being said, Paul does boast. 
He does glory in certain things. If you want to use that scriptural terminology, to glory in something, He does. He glories in the spiritual things. He glories in the position and the place that He had as the Apostle to the Gentiles in this church age. And that carries great weight with us. A great amount of the New Testament Scripture was written by this man. And while we don't, again, lift Him up, we don't, we don't glorify that man. We certainly don't worship Him that doesn't mean that we can't appreciate who he was and appreciate the vessel that the Lord chose that, well, that he might bring to us the word that the Lord had for us. Uh, but even in his flesh, you understand he had something to boast in, uh, naturally speaking, if he chose to do so. We'll turn real quick and look at a couple of different things that he could have boasted in had he chosen to before we consider all well, the reasons to boast that we're looking at in our passage tonight. Look in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 has him presenting how he could boast, naturally speaking. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, not merely just the spiritual place that the Lord has given me. I could boast in this, sure, he says that. I could express my authority and I could, you know, pound the gavel as it were, pound the pulpit to say this is who I am by the will of God and you must listen to me. But he had other things that he could have boasted in as well. Though I also might have confidence in this flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning, or concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. All of these different things that people of that time, particularly in the Jewish circles, would have admired and respected, he had them in spades. He was the epitome of the Jew. The Jew's Jew, essentially, is what he said. He said, I have much to brag in, naturally speaking, amongst these people here. Paul spoke about his qualifications to boast and to glory. Uh, He knew who he was, naturally speaking. Now, we know that any number of us have reason to celebrate. We can boast in ourselves and we can say, oh, I have this background or I have this capability or I have this degree or I have this intellect or I have these test scores or I have this beauty or I have whatever the case might be. And it might hold some stock and hold some weight amongst people, naturally speaking. And good for you. High five. <laughs> High five. As they used to say, that in two dollars will get you a cup of coffee. They used to say that in 10 cents will get you a cup of coffee, but no one sells coffee for 10 cents anymore. No one sells coffee for two bucks anymore, but I digress. You can have all of your natural boasts and your natural brags. And those things, if they are merely natural and we lean only into the natural, good luck in establishing your riches in the glory that is beside the Lord Jesus. And I don't mean that just being snide. I'm just saying put into perspective and prioritize the things that are, well, that don't need to necessarily have priority. Do all things as unto the Lord, certainly. All things as unto the Lord, but don't hold them in regard. Natural things that are merely natural, as though they are something that are going to accelerate us or, or enhance us spiritually, eternally. Now that being said, despite his natural capability, despite his natural position, despite his natural status, Paul's situation, who he was, his position always was, despite what he had to boast in, is that though we may be somebody or nobody, naturally speaking, the glory must always ultimately be the Lord's. No matter who we are, where we are, whether rich, whether poor, he said, in whatsoever state I am, he's learned therewith to be content 
Whoever you are, wherever you are, the glory must be ultimately the Lord's. The glory cannot be focused here. The glory must always go upward. The natural things he understood were so fleeting, so temporal. It doesn't matter what they are. It doesn't matter how appealing they are to us. Natural things that are merely natural are only that. And if they are... Well, given too much heed, given too much stock, given too much credit, given too much of our emphasis in our lives, and they're capable and prone to leading us away from the things that are spiritual. And may that not be so. And so, that's why Paul intentionally focused on those things that are eternally profitable. Those things that might have a natural element to them, but as they fed to his spiritual good, as they fed into his eternal blessing. That's what he leaned into, not the natural. And so that's what we find him celebrating here in our text in Romans 15. That last, that last verse that we read in that 15th chapter, in verse 17, he says, Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. Always, always, as they reflect and as they pertain to eternal things, as they pertain to God, that's what I will glory in. He says, I glory in my infirmities as they lead me closer to Him, as they bring me to my knees, as it were. He'll rejoice and glory in those things. He would glory in His position as, well, I don't have the passage here, but He gloried in His position as an apostle if it caused others, His opponents, to be zealous and almost jealous of that situation so that they might pursue God themselves. He always, always gloried in the things of God uh, so that they, well, he might be blessed and bless others in those things. He had reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. So, what was it that he was glorying in here in this 15th chapter? What was he looking at and celebrating here, finding reason to boast and It's also translated rejoice, reason to rejoice here with these Romans. That's our focus here this evening. If you look at the 14th verse there in our passage, he says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Uh, It seems to me that these Roman saints weren't spiritual novices. Uh, Again, you you have varying... Well, varying conditions in each of these cities that he wrote to. You'd have different ones who were outliers this way or that way. But it seems like the majority of them that he's speaking to, well, they weren't novices spiritually. He says that they were full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another, able to minister one to another. Not just dress down someone when they needed to, but to exhort and to help one recognize what the Lord is looking for, their specific situation. They spent time in this, it seems, in understanding who God was. Full of knowledge, full of goodness. You don't just come across goodness on your own. You recognize what the Lord has for you, and you walk in that righteousness. They had an understanding. They had a commitment to this time, it seems, making themselves knowledgeable and capable. Now, if you put that into the context of work, you employers and managers and that sort of thing. I looked at Ryan when I said employers. I'm not sure why, but I don't think he employs someone yet, but give it time. You managers and you supervisors who have people below you, wouldn't you prefer well-trained individuals? And not only well-trained individuals, but well-studied individuals and well-capable individuals of taking that knowledge and 
investing it into their respective positions as it serves that organization. Wouldn't you prefer that? Well, don't you want someone who has spent their time invested in the policies and procedures, invested in their training, invested in their, well, whatever applies to that respective position? That's what you're looking for. God gave his people a manual. Gave his pe- not just Emmanuel, how about that? Gave Emmanuel too, but certainly gave the word, well, the word in print. He gave us a manual that we might be well trained and well studied. 2 Timothy chapter 3, that very familiar passage that we read kind of often, I would say. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, where it speaks of every scripture. Every scripture being God-breathed, given by His inspiration, you could say. And profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline and obedience, for training in righteousness and holy living in conformity to God's will and thought, purpose, and action. I'm not sure what translation that is. Is that the Amplified Translation? I don't have it listed here. So that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well fitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's the passage that I'm looking at specifically in verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, this is something that the Lord has prepared us for. That He has given us this so that we might be well equipped, we understand. And the Romans were. They were educated. They didn't have all of this, you understand. They didn't have all of the writings of Paul. They didn't have revelation yet. They didn't have a number of these different things. But what they had access to, and the access being whatever Paul had taught them, and those portions of the Old Testament that they had available to themselves, they were educated, and they were able to draw on those things and understand what knowledge was and what goodness was, and all of those things that Paul rejoiced in in seeing them. They were able to, well, use that knowledge, able to admonish. And so Paul rejoiced in this truth. And it's evident that he did. Uh, Look what he uh, said there in verse 15. It says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly, or daring, you might say, daring to you on some points, as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. He spoke more boldly. What does he mean by that? Well, it means that he put a little extra on it. You might say, Well, if you're out playing catch with someone, you know, or whether it's football, whether it's baseball, whatever the case might be, you know, I've played catch with my with my boys, and you know, you toss it, toss it, throw up a pop fly. Maybe Judah would say, "All right, Dad, put a little something on it," you know. And so you bring the smoke, right? You bring the heat because you want to hear that pop in in the mitt. It's just that good sound. Sometimes Paul brought the smoke, right? He brought a little bit of heat. In his words, have you read Romans? <laughs> Did he bring some heat in Romans? I'd say he wound up and he, he drew down on these Roman saints. How come when he's, well, when he's lifting them up here, when he speaks to them of having knowledge? Saints, sometimes the Lord brings the heat. He brings the smoke. He brings something a little bit extra in speaking boldly to you. Do you ever feel that sometimes? you ever feel like the Lord just really, man, he's punching me in the heart right now. I, I didn't feel like I was out of line. <laughs> And perhaps I'm not out of line, but this is just hitting me, well, just a little bit differently today. I've had that when I've sat and read Scripture that I've read countless times. And sometimes, you know, they say it pops out of the page. Sometimes it punches me right in the nose. You know, because the Lord's bringing the heat right then and it weighs heavily in just that moment. Now, why is that? 
Why, why did he bring that? Well, first off, did he bring this? Sure, he did. He brought extra. Uh, you can look through Romans for yourself, but I'll give you just a couple of highlights as to why I think and how I think that Romans, Paul spoke to the Romans just a little bit more boldly. How about Romans 1? You ever read Romans 1? Not for the faint of heart, is it? Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That doesn't sound terrible, perhaps, on its own until you start thinking about the wrath of God and dropping down that wrath and bringing, well, bringing uh, wrath. God's wrath. It's something that we can kind of just cast off that it goes in one ear and out the other because that's not part of our experience as Christians. Uh, we, we deal with His correction. We deal with His chastisement. But the wrath of God is legit. It is serious. And if you read the things that you see in Romans 1 and what He brings that wrath upon, that ungodliness and unrighteousness that He's talking about there, it was heavy what He was bringing in that moment. Romans chapter 2 and in chapter 3, they go on, speaking of the condemnation that is present there. You know, for the insufficiency that mankind has in providing for himself spiritually, in fixing himself spiritually. Can't do it. There's justification there for it. wrath for all people who are outside, outside of the family of God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law, Romans 2.12 says. In the next chapter, in verse 10, he quotes from the Old Testament, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. It's heavy stuff. Heavy stuff for those ones who have knowledge. Those ones who, well, had goodness that he was talking about there. Unpleasant subjects surround all of these verses that I just read in those first three chapters in particular. Uncomfortable truths? Yes, they are. Difficult to read? Yes, they are. Bold was he to these Romans? Yes, he was. He was bringing the Roman saints boldness as he brought them the truth. And he rejoiced in that. He rejoiced in... Well, I think that he rejoiced in their capability of hearing it, of receiving that. He says, Therefore I have reason to glory, boast, rejoice in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. He rejoiced and celebrated that there was opportunity to bring that boldness. That he had reason to write that masterpiece of Paul that they call it. That he had reason to express all of those things that we have studied and heard others study and present and solidify, solidify the Christian experience to God's people here. Uh, he rejoiced and celebrated that opportunity to present this truth and to present it in fullness. Now, the presence of Christ's influence and word in the heart of the empire that had them under their thumb in that day, I think that he rejoiced that, well, that, that blessing that is Jesus and the word of God that he knew the power of, that he knew the understanding of, and to know that it was in the heart of Rome, that it was there and flourishing to an extent in that empire that was causing such discomfort back in that day, you know that he rejoiced in that. You know he gloried in that. I think of those ones. Well, I think of those ones in different places that are under persecution and being God's people today, places where they don't have the freedom to gather as we do. And there's a certain measure of—I don't know what the word is really. 
I would say joy, of course, and rejoicing and glory and that sort of thing, but there's a certain measure of almost pride isn't the right word. I don't know how to really express it. But isn't there just a measure of mm, that in the heart of darkness, in the very center of those places where death is oftentimes rendered because of a, well, the word of God going forth, that the word still lives there. Isn't that something? Doesn't that kind of give you a bit of a thrill, I guess you could say? It does me. It does me. I, I'm grateful that the word of God goes out right under the nose of the enemies of God. I'm grateful for that. And I'm sure that Paul gloried in that. He had reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God in that respect. But I think that he also, on a very simple level, a very pragmatic level, he simply recognized the potential that was there in those saints. Not just to have the knowledge of God, not just to have a certain measure of goodness, but to deepen that knowledge and to deepen that goodness and to deepen that understanding that they had, to deepen their capability of admonishing one another, as it says there uh, in these, this passage that we've been reading. When their Lord is blessing others, and they're putting themselves in position to be blessed, that is reason to glory. And I think that Paul took that, took that position, took that place, and took that opportunity to do so. And saints, we should too. We should rejoice. We should rejoice in the potential for others uh, to be progressed in the things of God, to move forward and grow in the things of God. Uh, I'm, well, I joined Paul in that, in rejoicing and seeing what God is doing in others. Now, that's not all that he's looking at here. That's not all that he gloried in. Back in Romans 15, verses 15 and 16, he didn't just celebrate what God was doing in the Romans themselves. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister, he says, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, that what the Gentiles, particularly those ones in Rome, that what they offered would be sanctified, that who they are and their own offerings of praise and their offerings of themselves and all those things, just the personages of the Gentiles, those ones who are outside of the family of Israel, that those would be sanctified. The people and the things that were, well, given of them. He gloried in the opportunity that he might minister. He gloried in what the Lord could do in him. Saints, there's no shame in recognizing what the Lord has called in your life. And there's certainly no shame in obeying that. You know, I speak from personal experience because that's 90% of what I, what I know. But I remember when the Lord put on my heart, uh, well, that he had a, this ministry for me. And there's a certain measure of just this kind of feeling unworthy of things and incapable of things. And, and, and it's not a pleasant feeling. It's not, well, we talked about job descriptions this morning. It's difficult to look at a job description of something and say, <laughs> I don't check any of these boxes. Certainly not the ones that the world would hold, hold you to. But there was still a desire in me. Well, I wanted it. I wanted to do what the Lord told me to do. So I was kind of caught in this kind of this paradox between not feeling worthy, but entirely wanting to do everything that the Lord had for me to do. And there were a number of people, men that, that I hold in great respect, that helped me get past that and recognizing there's no shame when the Lord has put a call on your heart. There's no shame in recognizing and hearing that call, knowing that it's from Him, and being grateful that He put a call on your heart, and being satisfied with 
if this is what you have for me, Lord, then I'm going to do it to the very best that I possibly can. There's no shame in that. And that's what Paul is saying here, essentially, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. I'm grateful, he says, I glory because there is this opportunity. What a horrible thing that it must feel to have all of this message of grace, all that new message, all of this understanding that the Lord had been cooking and stirring. And Paul had this comprehension after these years of hearing it directly from the Spirit. What, what, man, how stifled would that man have felt if there was no outlet for that? If there was no, you know, you still give. Well, the Lord told the prophet a couple of them. I'm going to send you to them and they're not going to listen to you, but you're going to speak anyway. There's satisfaction in that and knowing that you're doing the Lord's will, but what a blessing it is when you go out and you're doing the will of God and there are actually those ones who receive that from you, who contribute to that, who fellowship with, with you in your, each of your respective positions in the way that you do things. He was grateful, grateful, and he rejoiced that he could be a minister to those ones ministering, be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. There's no shame in that. There's joy in it. There's glory. There's boasting in the Lord in that. The shame would be in not answering the call, of course. That would be the shame. Paul knew who he was in the Lord. In Romans eleven thirteen. the first part of that verse says, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles. I rejoice that the Lord gives me an outlet, that I might be that apostle to the Gentiles, that I might cast this seed. I might plant. Apollos might water. God gives the increase certainly, but to have your role and to be capable of doing that, being put in that situation, there's joy in that. There's glory in that for the Lord certainly. Paul got it. He he valued his opportunity to act in the capacity that the Lord had for him. There's no shame in doing what the Lord calls you to do. There's joy in that when you listen and you hear what He has for you to do, knowing that He has it for you, and then going and moving forward, again, giving Him the glory always, giving Him the praise always, giving Him the credit always, because it is His indeed. Do you remember how He gave, well, how he, there was opportunity given to Him in the Philippians, uh, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 22, He was given opportunity, Paul was, to be a minister to them, to give of himself, and to exercise this right as an apostle. In Philippians 1.22 it says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. It's always been an interesting passage to me, because evidently Paul was given some measure of, well, some measure of choice whether he'd go home to be with the Lord or stick around and be a blessing to these Philippian saints on a further level. Uh, seems clear he was given that option to me. He said to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it was a difficult consideration for him because both were blessings in their own right. Moving forward in verse 23. For I am hard pressed, he says. Stuck, rock in a hard place here, you might say. Hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. To be out of his body, to be present with the Lord. That's, that's death, which is far better. Nevertheless... To remain in the flesh is more needful for you. To continue in this position that I've been given as an apostle and to minister to you, to admonish to you, to draw out from you what the Lord is working in you, that we might together be blessed in this faith. Now that was an opportunity for him as well, so he cast his vote in verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain 
and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing, there's our word, that your glory for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. And so it kind of comes full circle, right? Paul was glorying in these ones as well, that there was opportunity, that they had a certain measure of knowledge themselves, that they had a measure of goodness themselves, that they had some understanding that he could, well, that he could invest more in them. You've read Philippians. There's very little criticism in that book for those ones. There was a lot of good that was present there, and there was more that could be drawn from them if Paul was given that opportunity. And so he took that opportunity. And then they would glory in what he was doing Well, in making that effort, see how it comes full circle, how it is this marrying together of God's will for different individuals in their own respective contexts, their own respective situations. It's a mutual glorying, a mutual rejoicing, a mutual boasting in the Lord and what he's doing, taking joy in what he's doing in others as we take joy in what he's doing in us. It's a beautiful thing. I don't think that's cheesy to say. It is beautiful. The Lord... Makes things beautiful, doesn't he? And so when Paul identified those willing ones in Philippi, when he recognized those willing ones in Rome, when he recognized those ones elsewhere who were heeding God and pursuing God and learning and studying the things of the Lord and obeying God in their respective positions and contexts and those sorts of things, then Paul was motivated himself to continue in that context of his own. As the apostle, as the one who was given to bring these things, and it marries together in the will of God, blossoming, I guess you could say, into something fruitful and something good and something blessing. And it gave Paul reason to glory. And he wrote about it to these ones in Rome. Saints, if you haven't learned for yourself, can I encourage you that there is reason to glory in the work that the Lord is doing for others? That there is reason to witness, bear witness to, the, to what others are Well, their own goodness, their own knowledge, their own ability, I guess you could say, if we're sticking to the scripture here, to admonish one another, those ones who are moving forward, it's difficult sometimes. Sometimes it's difficult as you're seeing people progress in the Lord to say, ah, they can't be perfect yet. (laughs) It's difficult to be okay with that sometimes because you're like, man, this close to doing something remarkable, this close to being someone remarkable. The Lord is long-suffering. And the Lord is patient. Aren't you grateful that He is? I think I can afford to be patient. I can afford to be long-suffering. I can afford to be prayerful as I see knowledge and goodness and an ability to admonish one another, certain abilities and certain measures of admonishment in God's people. And I can pray for those ones and I will rejoice in seeing the growth and the progress in those other ones. I rejoice in seeing the obedience that is present in others. It is a joyful thing. Likewise, if you haven't already learned yet, learn that there is reason to glory in the work that God is doing in you. Not to slough it off as being unimportant. Certainly not to slough yourself off as being not important enough to be used by God. Do not dismiss what he can do in the earthen vessel that is this flesh, despite this flesh. Now, it doesn't mean you go telling everybody about it. It doesn't mean you go and tell, hey, listen up, look what God is doing in me. <laughs> you don't go and brag. That's not what it's, what it's all about. Well, I have in my notes written, 
Growth in the Lord isn't about telling everyone about it. It's about being about it. Be about growth in the Lord. Ourselves being full of goodness. Ourselves being filled with all knowledge. Ourselves being able to admonish one another. Because we do, as Paul told Timothy, and I'll close with this, where he says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. These things that we find here in Scripture. These things that we study four times a week and that you should be studying for yourself on your own. And he goes on to say, which was given to you by prophecy. I'm sorry, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Timothy had a ministry put upon him. We all have our own measure of ministry. We're all given our own measure, whether it's public or not. We're all given to admonish one another. That's a measure of ministry. He says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Perhaps you're not ordained, but the Lord has blessed you with something. Meditate on these things. That's something very, very private, isn't it? When you meditate and you chew on the things of God, it's a very personal act. When you sit and you consider what the Lord has put upon your heart, give yourself entirely to them. Then your progress will be evident to all, he says to them here. It won't have to be told. It will be apparent. It will be evident to the Spirit, and the Spirit will speak it to whomever else needs to know. And it will be reason to glory for ourselves as we see what the Lord is doing in ourselves. And it will be reason to glory for those ones who celebrate such things as the progress of others in faith. Saints, it can feel kind of dark. It can feel kind of bleak at times around us spiritually. The Word can sometimes feel, well, like He's speaking to us rather boldly in the moment. Man, He's bringing the smoke today. Be grateful that He's speaking to you. And be grateful when He's speaking to others. Because perhaps the Lord believes that you can handle it. Perhaps the Lord believes that Others can handle it. And you can take joy and rejoice in knowing that you have reason to boast. That you have reason to see, well, reason to boast in other people. Rejoice. Therefore, I have reason to glory, to boast, to rejoice in Christ, rejoice in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. Be willing to see His hand working in others. And be grateful for that and His hand working in your own heart and life as well.